0: in the other building for little ones. And while they're making their way out, uh, you take your Bibles this morning and turn to uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to, uh, since it's, Easter, or better called Resurrection Sunday, when we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Even though every Sunday uh, is a celebration of the resurrection, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. I want to set aside our study of the book of Numbers. We've uh, been uh, looking at uh, the book of Numbers for a number of months now, uh, and. Uh, some wonderful truths there, but I want us to focus on the wonderful truth that we find here in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Uh, We're in the state of Wisconsin, so uh, you know the governor right you know the who the governor is of our state how many of you have ever spoken to the governor of the state here no one you know him don't you I mean Scott Walker everybody knows Scott Walker um, but do you really know him no you know who he is right but we don't know him Uh, He's not a friend, necessarily, of anyone here, although he's a very friendly man. Uh, He's not one of your colleagues. He doesn't work at your business or at your place of work. He doesn't uh, teach at your school, and uh, uh, he's got his responsibilities. Now, the first step to knowledge of the Lord is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Many people know about Jesus But do they know him? Do you know him this morning? Paul cries out here in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him. If a person really wants to know God, they must begin with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul did not say that I may know about him. Paul wanted to personally know Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning, do you have that same passion this morning? Now, We get technical here. Paul had a choice of several words for the word know or knowledge. He could have used the word that means to comprehend mentally. Or he could have used another word to know by acquaintance, by familiarity, or contact. Uh, Or a third choice was to know by experience. And that's the word we find here in Philippians 3.10. It's a knowing a person by intimate knowledge, and that's the one here. Paul is emphasizing knowing Jesus in a very personal way. He did not want to know about him, but he wanted to know him by participation in a living experience. Now, I mentioned that uh, something about par for the course, and many of you know that I really enjoy the game of golf. I really do. It's therapy. And uh, that's what we call it here. But for some, that's a silly, frivolous waste of time. Chasing a little white ball around a big lawn that has a little hole in it. Well, I kind of enjoy it. It's good exercise, and the scenery is usually pleasant. There's usually a lot of sunshine. There's some rolling hills, there's some singing birds, there's some beautiful ponds and lakes. And sometimes you get to know them very well. But listen, I don't want to just watch it on TV. I don't want to just read about it in a golf magazine. I want to experience it for myself. I want to be out there, and I can't wait. I would just prefer if we just decide right now Everybody in spooner, open your windows, turn the heat up, put another log on the fire. Let's get rid of this white stuff, okay? No, we're trying to be patient. But you know, I again we don't want to just know about something. We want to experience it. In John 17 and verse 3, it says, And this is life eternal, that ye might know they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You know, many Christians know Christ in a nominal way. They have received Christ as their Savior, but they have not even taken the steps that are needed to grow in the Lord because they're too busy to spend time with the Lord. We sing the song, More about Jesus would I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. But I wonder if we really, really desire that it's a passion of ours to know more about Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us that a great passion of his life was to know more about Jesus. He says right here, he says, that I may know him. The knowledge of Christ that he sought was more than just theological. It was more than intellectual. It was more than theoretical. He sought an experiential knowledge of Christ. He wanted to know him in a very personal way. You know, some people get the impression that being saved by faith means that there's no motivation for conduct or works. They think that if a person is saved by grace, it must mean he just kind of sits around and twiddles his thumbs. Nothing could be further from the truth. Saving faith is a faith that moves you, motivates you. It was James that said, and he's not talking about law, works but faith works. He said show me thy faith without thy works and I will show thee my faith by my works. If you've been saved your works need to be seen. If you don't have works you're probably not saved and that's exactly what Paul is saying. If your faith in Christ hasn't changed you uh, you haven't been saved. You're still the same old person producing the same old life and so Paul does away with the idea that being saved by faith means you just sit in a rocking chair and rock yourself all the way to heaven. Paul exhibits an effort and energy that is derived from the Holy Spirit, which is far greater than any legal effort. Under the law, this man was willing to go to Damascus to stamp out the followers of Christ. And under the grace-faith system, he would go to the end of the earth to make followers of Gr- Christ and to witness to them. Faith produces something. And let me be perfectly clear about this. Your works have nothing to do with your salvation. You are shut up to the cross of salvation. God has only one question for the lost sinner, and that is, what will you do with Jesus who died for you? Now, if you'll accept him as your Savior, you're saved by faith. And that is the righteousness that comes by faith. Even your life after salvation doesn't build up a righteousness that has anything to do with salvation. Your faith in Christ is a motivation for you to live for God. And that's the reason Paul wanted to live as he did. You know, all believers have met Christ, but not all believers know Christ. All believers know about Christ, but yet they may not know him in a close, intimate, personal way. was experiential knowledge here that Paul was seeking. And notice here that Paul, the greatest missionary in the world, said at the end of his life, he said, my ambition is still to know Christ, his person and the power of his resurrection. And so what does that mean to know Christ in such a way? You know, salvation is wonderful, but that's only the beginning point in a walk with God. Unfortunately, that's as far as some Christians get. Now, I wonder, does that describe you this morning? Can you say you have a close, personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul reveals several important elements here in having this close walk. You notice, first of all, the power of the resurrection of Christ. Paul lists three things uh, in order here. Resurrection, suffering, and death. Now one might say, are these elements in proper order? Should not the last point be the first point? Shouldn't the last point be resurrection? Well, Paul is speaking about his experience with Christ. The experience of the Christian commences with the sinner tasting first, of Christ's resurrection power in salvation. Conversion is described as passing out of death into life. John five twenty four says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened, that is, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So the first stage in Christian growth is to be born again. You are not a Christian unless you're regenerated, born again. Saving faith begins with the resurrection. And it produces spiritual life in a Christian. This is the same saving power which sustains us in our Christian life. You know, if we are to conquer the daily habits of sin and live in victory and holiness We must draw from the power of Christ's risen life. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says, The eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when... He raised him from the dead and set him at the, his own right hand in heavenly places. You see, to live in the power of Christ's resurrection is to become more and more dead to the ways of the world and the lust of the flesh. It's becoming more like Christ. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, when we meet here on Sunday the first day of the week, we are declaring that Jesus is alive. However, the problem comes Monday through Saturday, doesn't it? We assemble on Sunday because he's alive, but on Monday, many times we act as if he's dead. His resurrection is a fact we proclaim, but it's not always a factor that we practice. Think with me for a moment. The historical account. Paul spoke of the power of his resurrection. If you had visited the garden tomb on resurrection morning, you would have found four powers outside of that tomb. There were four powers. There was a religious power. There were the Pharisees and the Sadducees that exerted all their influence to see the body of Jesus was kept in the tomb. There was a civil power. There was a seal placed on the tomb by the governmental leaders prohibiting and preventing anyone from taking the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Behind that seal was the power of the Roman government. And then thirdly, there was a military power. Soldiers were placed there to be guards to make sure that nothing or no one disturbed this tomb. And then fourthly, there was a satanic power. You can be sure that demons danced in the garden with glee. Jesus was dead. And in combined force, they were going to do all in their power to see that he stayed that way. There were the allied powers outside the tomb, but there was a mighty power inside the tomb. All the powers outside could not contain, control, or confine the power that was on the inside. And when the first rays of sunlight broke through the eastern sky up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes as we just sang moments ago this is the historical account of the resurrection but notice also the personal appropriation the personal appropriation paul knew the power of the resurrection as a fact but in knowing christ in a personal way he found it to be a factor in his life. It was more than doctrinal. It was more than historical. It became a personal factor in his life. Paul was saying that knowing Christ in a personal and intimate way would allow a believer to experience the power of resurrection in their life. Paul tells us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that can be experienced in the life of a believer. Now again, the word power here, uh, as well as in Ephesians, as I read moments ago, is a word that we've spoken of before. It's the word dunamis, which means where we get our word dynamite. Dynamite is powerful. And so it's a dynamite power. And let me emphasize the meaning here. What is exceedingly intense greatness of the power? That is dynamite power, to us Word who believe according to the working that the word the energizing of the strength of his might when paul explains how great that dynamite power is that's an energizing strength it's the power enough to raise christ from the dead and that's a tremendous power not only is it a resurrection power it's a power that christ set christ on god's right hand and that's ascension power We don't make much of the ascension in our Bible-believing churches today. We we emphasize uh, Christmas, and we emphasize Easter, but sometimes we forget the events that took place after that. Have you ever stopped to think of the power that took him back to the hand of God? Now that's power. We see a little bit in the age in which we live. Think of the power that it takes to lift a space shuttle off its base and take it into outer space, the power it took to put men on the moon and then bring them back. That is a power in a physical realm. But the power that took Christ to the right hand of God is the same power that's available to you and me today. And that's why Paul wanted to know the greatness of that power. Do you realize that the same power that enabled Jesus to overcome death is the same power that enables us to overcome in life? The same power to be a victorious savior is the same power available for us to be a victorious saint. The power of the resurrection resurrection makes us winners. We do not have to live enslaved to the life of sin and lust and failure and defeat. Just as Jesus was conquer over death and hell and the grave, and by his resurrection power, we can be conquerors over the world, the flesh, and the devil. We can know the sufficiency of his resurrection power, the power of the resurrection of Christ. Notice, secondly, the participation in Christ's suffering. That's the second thing we see in verse 10 here, the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, Christians are called not only to enjoy the salvation that we have in Christ, but also to partake in his sufferings. Peter spoke of this issue in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13. He says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Now there is no fellowship so precious as that one has in a close friend in his sufferings. You know, we share our joys many times, but our sorrows are shared with an intimate few. How many of us have come to know Jesus in a sacred intimacy of his sufferings? The sufferings do not refer to the pain of the cross. I believe what Paul was referring to was addressed in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 16 He said, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And when it says, for my name's sake, that may suggest that there's a possible meaning of the suffering. Uh, Could it refer to the suffering one must bear because of an all-out allegiance to Jesus Christ? And I'm referring to the suffering which may come from being misunderstood, uh, being ridiculed by the world, or ever persecuted for our stand for Jesus Christ, you know the world doesn't really want to hear too much about Jesus Christ. Oh, they'll use his name in vain, but if you start talking about, oh, don't, don't give me that religion stuff. This is the kind of suffering that does not come to a Christian who has fellowship with the world. You know, if we never talk about Christ, if we talk about the same things the world talks about, we won't get that kind of persecution. No believer who compromises his position in Christ can share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. You know, most of us would gladly fellowship with Christ's blessings, but how many would seek the fellowship of Christ's sufferings? And that's what Paul's desire was. He wanted to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. The fellowship of his sufferings. Uh, that's The word here that's used is uh, a word that uh, uh, koinonia. That's Greek to me and probably to you too. Well it's Greek. That's why it's Greek to us. But the meaning is that it involves partnership. And participation in fellowship. Now I know that this is just the way. Not the way we naturally think. Who would want to desire and who would want to seek out suffering? We try to avoid suffering as much as possible, don't we? No one in their right mind would want to suffer. But remember, I'm not talking about suffering the scourging that Christ suffered or the sufferings of the cross that he went through. You see, that was done once and for all. We don't have to participate in that. There are some religions who like to reenact that and they like to say they're more spiritual because they are getting whipped or they're carrying a cross or they're even being uh, crucified in a sense. No, Christ did that once and for all. Jesus said, it is finished. He paid the price in full. I'm not talking about inflicting yourself with pain like some religions promote, the beating of yourself with chains, or the crawling on the hands and knees for miles on stone steps. That's not what he's teaching here. When we think of knowing Christ, the thought of suffering, it may not be the most appealing thing. None of us wants to suffer, Yet it is a part of knowing Christ. Let me explain. Suffering may come in the form of persecution. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you recall earlier, Paul had said, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1.29, The history of the church is one of persecution. Many suffered persecution, and even some paid the ultimate price to serve the Lord. Some were burned at the stake. Some were fed to the lions. Probably no book has greater influence, than, apart from the Bible that is, on Christians, than Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. While a prisoner in Bedford Jail, he had been arrested for the crime of preaching the gospel without a license. Uh, he was preaching to a large crowd in a wooded area when some officers broke up the meeting and they put him in jail. He would spend the next 13 years in jail. And when his trial came up, he was giving, given a sentence of three months. After that time, he promised that he Uh, If he promised that he would never preach again, they would release him. But if he would not make that promise, he would be hanged. He replied, If I were out of prison today, I would preach again tomorrow. So help me God. Bunyan knew something about persecution. As Americans in this present age, Christians do not live under the fear of being jailed for the faith. I... I really had no fear coming to church this morning and thinking that some officers may come in and drag me out of here and put me to jail. I had that no fear of that. Yet around us in this world there are those who are paying a high price to know Christ. That's happening in places in our world today. To know Christ means to suffer, and suffering may come in the form of persecution. But it also may come in the form of Preparation. Now, I can't say that a Christian will suffer persecution of jail or martyrdom, but I can say with full assurance that every Christian will suffer in some form of preparation. What am I saying? Well, listen to 1 Peter five ten says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. When I speak of suffering in the form of preparation, I am speaking of the trials that every believer has to go through uh, that have the divine purpose of preparing us and molding us to be the person that God can bless and use. If we are to know Christ in an intimate way, we're going to have trials. The believer that knows Christ, experiences the life of Christ, is one that will have the screws tightened on their life. And yet the purpose of those painful experiences is that we might walk straight. And that we might be all that God intends us to be. It's for this reason that James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or trials. You now, No one wants to suffer, suffer, but the result changes us and it causes us to rejoice. The darkest clouds bring the heaviest showers of blessing. To know Christ is to be a joint participant in suffering. And as Paul was a partner with Christ in the work of the Lord, he was also to participate in what the Lord went through. You know, the deepest moments of spiritual fellowship with Jesus Christ are those times of intense suffering. Suffering has a way of driving us closer to the Lord and has a way of bringing future blessing into our lives. There's a story of a Only survivor of a shipwreck who was washed up on a small, uninhabited island, he cried out to God to save him, and every day he scanned the horizon for help, but none seemed to be forthcoming. Exhausted, he eventually managed to build a rough hut. He put a few possessions in it, and then one day, after hunting for food, he arrived home to find his little hut in flames. The smoke was rolling up into the sky, and the worst had happened. He was stung with grief. Early the next day, though, a ship drew near the island and rescued him. And he said, How did you know I was here? We saw your smoke signal. Though it may not seem so now, your present suffering may be instrumental in your future happiness. To suffer for the faith is not a penalty, it's a privilege. For thereby we share the very work of Christ. And one who does not know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings is not fully prepared to serve him. Because suffering is going to come if you live for Christ. Suffering will come from Satan's crowd. But also from carnal Christians as well. Many Christians only serve the Lord if it's convenient. If there's no sacrifice. If there's no suffering. Paul was Willing to make his life count for Christ. I wonder, are you willing to make your life count for Christ? What are you willing to give up? Maybe some time, maybe some approval of so called friends. Before we can walk in the newness of life, we must die to sin. So we have the power of the resurrection of Christ, we have the participation in Christ's suffering, and then thirdly, the point of the pursuit. Paul concludes his pursuit of knowledge with the expressed desire to be made conformable unto his death. That's the point of the pursuit. The death of Christ was the goal for his coming to earth. Our Lord was born to die. Matthew 20 and verse 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul was not expressing a desire to die as Christ died. He desired to die to his selfish desires. He desired, uh, he wanted to, uh, he would use uh, phrases like crucified with Christ. Uh, He would say, I die daily, uh, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And so being made conformable unto the death of Christ is something that a majority of Christians have little to do with. We don't want to surrender our lives that easily. We die hard. We struggle frantically to cater to our fleshly desires. What does the Lord say about that? Well, in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans 6.11, Likewise reckon ye you also, you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Colossians 3.3, 3, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Paul said that I may know him. Obviously, spiritual attainment to the height that Paul desired is a privilege. It's one of those things that await our decision. We may continue to live selfishly for this life only, or we may die to self and follow on to know the Lord. Yes, there is a tug of war that we face every day in our hearts. Paul was telling us the more we know Christ, the more we will be like him. An intimate knowledge of Christ produces a likeness in our life. So notice, first of all, there's a likeness to be gained. The word conformable means to bring to the same form with some other person. Now that kind of contrary to many things that people think about today. I don't want to be like everybody else. Well, the more we don't want to be like everybody else, the more we seem to be like everybody else. But here the word conformable means to bring to the same form with, another, with other, some other person. Paul was saying, if you want to know Christ, then we will be like him. We will want to be like him. Same thing uh, is given to us in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the image, same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, one of the objectives of God's continuing work in a believer's life is to make us like Jesus. Our lives are to be conformed to His image. Our life is to be a reflection of His life that He lived here on earth. We read in First 1 Peter 1:21, "For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his footsteps. The word example describes the method by which children are taught to read and to write. The teacher will make an impression of letters and words on paper, and the student will trace over them. And Peter was saying that as believers we're to follow every line, every curve of his life, Christ's life. He is our model. He is our example. We're to be like him. There's a likeness that is to be gained. There is also a life that is given. I want you to notice very carefully Paul stated that the death of the Lord Jesus was a specific thing in which we're to be conformed. Paul was not saying that we should go to Jerusalem and be crucified. He was not saying that we needed to die on a cross. The death that he was referring to is the death that exemplified total selflessness. It was a death to self. In case it's not a death for sin, but a death to self. Just as Jesus became obedient unto death, we are to die to self. A death to self means that we die to what we want. We die to our will. It's no longer I, but Christ. It's dying to any plans we have. And being obedient to whatever the Father has planned for my life. Paul's personal testimony was this. He said, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He also testified in Galatians 2, 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It was Andrew Murray who said this. He said, It is easy for man's wisdom to win men to the cross that leaves them uncrucified. There was a cross in our Lord's life, and if we're to know Christ in an intimate way, there'll be a cross in ours. And then it was George Mueller was once asked the secret of his life, and he replied, There was a day when I died. I died to George Mueller. His opinions, his preferences, taste, and will died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends, and since I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. You know, if we're to know Christ, there must be an enthronement of the Savior and a dethronement of self. It is to be made conformable unto his death. So what does it mean to know Christ? It means that by his resurrection power, we live a life of sufficiency. It means that by fellowship of his suffering, we live a life of suffering. It means that being made conformable unto his death and living a life of selflessness. Again, can I ask you this morning, what is your desire What is your passion this morning? Everyone is passionate about something. Do you have a desire to know God? Well, you can only know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died on Calvary's cross to pay your sin penalty. But he didn't stay there on that cross. He arose the third day and because of his resurrection, those who put their trust in him have the promise of eternal life. And I hope... It is your desire this morning to live for the Lord and to know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and be made conformable unto his death. Die to self and live unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.